You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. There are some people throughout church history that have called James the Proverbs of the New Testament. They see James as fitting within that tradition of wisdom literature. And when we read today's New Testament passage, the reading that we heard today, we can understand why they would say that. There's kind of two Proverbs that are embedded in this passage. The first several verses, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, all seem to be an expansion upon, an application of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1 which reads, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. James sees in the plans that the merchants in the church to whom he's writing are making to travel and to make a profit, a people who are not living according to that proverb, and who are therefore not living a life of faith. Because faith, as we have seen throughout the book of James, depends, uh, demands a recognition of our utter dependence upon God. And in their plans that they are making, they are making themselves the masters of their own fate, acting as if they determine their own future. But James reminds them and reminds us that we are but a mist, that our lives are fleeting, ephemeral, here today, gone tomorrow, certainly nothing to build our trust upon. His call to them to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, is not just a charge to change their speech. It's not as if the right thing to do is just if we say God willing before we say any plans that we have, now we are following in the way of Jesus. It is a call to recognize their utter dependence upon God. It's a call to remember that when they don't remember that they are dependent, contingent beings, that they are recommitting the sin of Adam and Eve, this desire to have the good gifts of God, to take the things that we want, but to do it without acknowledging God as the giver of those good gifts, without acknowledging God as true Lord. And then there's verse 17. This one doesn't have a corollary in the book of Proverbs, but it stands and reads like a proverb on its own. It says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It is a reminder that evil cannot be avoided by mere passivity, that our own omissions are just as much sin as those commissions that we make, the things that we do. And we recognize this every week. We will recognize this and speak this truth later in our service when we come to repentance, when we come to the confession and we say, I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. Each of these proverbs is true on its own. And I could spend the entire time this morning just talking to you about how each of these applies to our own life. Certainly, we can see that we live in a culture that values and elevates independence, sometimes to making independence an idol. And in our desire to free ourselves from all human bonds and shackles, our desire to free ourselves from government intrusion, 
or people just making demands on our lives that we don't wish to meet. Sometimes we find ourselves also trying to cast off our obligations and duties to God as if we stand on our own. And certainly, all of us know that there are times where we choose not to do good, where we instead choose our own entertainment, our own pleasure, where we turn away from the opportunity to serve others and so sin. But James is not just a book of Proverbs. It's not just looking at these principles and trying to apply them to our lives, trying to find the moral in each one. The morals are good, but I think the actual genius of James, and in this particular passage here, is the connection that he makes between them. It's small and easy to miss, especially in the translation that we're using, but verse 17, that final proverb, starts, So... So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That word could also be translated, therefore. It's a connection to what came before. And honestly, this is something that when you pull out commentaries on the book of James, lots of them are stymied. They actually struggle to see, how does this idea that if you don't do the good that you're sinning connect to this this condemnation of arrogance and boasting? Some even have said that it's just an addition. Somebody stuck it in there later on, um, kind of found a convenient place to put it in, and, and don't think that it's really part of James. But I think that James saw a connection between these two things, and he's inviting us to see that connection as well. And that as we look at that connection between these two Proverbs and the way that they're put together, we can better understand the gospel and what it means to live a life of faith. I'm not just going to describe that connection to you, though. This morning, I want to tell you a story. A couple of weeks ago, I happened to read a story by, a short story by Leo Tolstoy. Um, So, not nearly as long as War and Peace. Um, It actually was a really quick read. But as I was preparing for my sermon this week, I kept on coming back to this story and thinking, this story illustrates perfectly what James is talking about, and it shows the connection between these two Proverbs. So I'm going to engage in some storytelling here this morning, and I invite you to be listening and thinking for how these words of Scripture inform the characters in this story. Simon was a Russian peasant. He was poor, barely had enough to live on. He had a job where as a shoemaker but he didn't own any land, didn't even own the house that he lived in, and it was coming up to winter. Winters in Russia are, of course, cold. And he and his wife only had one warm coat between them, and that was in tatters. No longer really any good to provide warmth. But he was owed some money from some jobs that he had done. They saved up a little bit, and they had some more money due, and it should be just enough if it all came in for him to buy two new sheepskins for he and his wife to each get a warm coat for winter. So he went into their house and scrounged up what little savings they had and walked into town hoping to collect some more money on the way and be able to pay for these two new sheepskins. But the first house that he arrived at was the house of a peasant who said, no, I can't pay you right now. I don't have any money myself. I can't give you anything. He continued disappointed, but the next house was supposed to have the bigger bill. And so he had hoped that it would be enough for him still to to go purchase his sheepskins. But he got there, 
and the master of the house was gone. And the wife said, I can't pay you without him being here. I can give you a little bit of spare change that I have, but that's all. And so he took the spare change and went into town, hoping maybe the person who sold the sheepskins would give him a deal, that he would allow him to buy them on credit. But when he got there, he said, no, I know how hard it is to collect on debts. I'm not going to become your debtor, your creditor. I'm not going to expect you to try to, to be able to pay me since you can't even collect money from those people whom you're trying to pay, and you don't have enough even for one sheepskin. So Simon, disappointed, took the handful of spare change and bought a bottle of vodka. Decided that he'd have something to warm him on the way home and started the long walk back to his wife. On the way there, at a bend in the road, he was passing a shrine, and he saw a man leaning against the shrine. At first, he didn't know what it was, because it, was, it was, seemed like it was white and just kind of there, and it was, just mo this, it was confusing, because as he came up, what he realized what it was is the man was completely naked, leaning there against the shrine. And he had a moment of worry for the man, wondered, what, what, is he okay? Is he dead? But then he thought, but maybe this is a trap. Maybe this is someone laid out so that if I go and stop to help him, robbers will come and take what little money I have from me. And he began to walk home, passing the man. But he had not gone very far when he thought again. He said, Simon, are you so rich that you are worried about robbers? And he turned back to the man. Now, before he left home, even though he didn't have a warm coat, he had layered what little clothing that he had. And so he took off one of his layers and gave it to the man. And when he went to collect money, while they didn't have money to give him, someone gave him another pair of boots to repair. And so he gave the man an extra pair of boots. And they began to walk home together. Simon asked him a few questions. He said... Where did you come from? The man said, from a long ways off. He said, did, did someone injure you or wrong you that you were lying there naked by the side of the road? The man said, no, God has punished me. And he said, well, then where are you going? He said, it doesn't matter. Anywhere is fine. He said, well, you can come back with me to get warm at my house. As they walked up to his house together, his wife, Matriona, looked out the window and saw Simon walking in with this man. And she knew that they had had just enough bread for the two of them for one more day's worth of bread. But when she saw him walking up, she said, oh, no, that's Simon. He's gotten drunk and brought someone home with him. We barely have enough for us, and he's going to want me to entertain a guest and she was angry and resentful. So when Simon and the man walked in, Simon said, My wife, can you prepare us a meal? And she said, No, we have just enough for us. I will not give it to you. I will not make it for you. And he said, she said, You've, you've, been, you've been irresponsible. You've wasted all of our savings again, haven't you? And he started to explain. She said, I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm just so mad at you. And he 
looked at her and said, do you not remember God? Let's take care of our guest. And she softened for a moment. And the guest, who had been otherwise expressionless and had said nothing, smiled. And she brought out what little bread they had left. And she gave it to them. In the morning, Simon asked the man, what's your name? He said, my name is Michael. And he asked him, what kind of work do you do? And he said, I don't have any trade, but I can learn. And so Simon began saying, well, you may as well stay with us then, and began teaching him the ways of making shoes. And he found that Michael was an incredible worker. He rarely talked, never unless spoken to. He never smiled, but he worked with diligence and precision and care, and he learned very quickly how to cut the leather, how to sew the stitches. In fact, Michael stayed with them for quite some time, and they gained a reputation together as excellent shoemakers. And with Michael's help, with this apprentice here who required nothing but lodging and food, and, but who gave his time willingly, they actually began to prosper a little bit. They were able to buy sheepskins on the next cold winter. They were able to have enough food that they weren't worried about the next day. In fact, their reputation grew far and wide until one day a wealthy landowner came and he brought to them a piece of leather that he said he'd gotten from overseas that was valuable, more valuable than anything that Simon had ever touched in his life. And he looked and said, I want some boots, high-topped boots that, that come up to my calf and, and fold down. They need to be in the latest style. I've heard that you can make excellent shoes. And I want you to make for me the most wonderful boots that have been seen out of this piece of leather. And if you do not do it well, I will have your hide. But if you succeed, I will pay you well. You will be wealthy, more than you have ever been. He left the leather with them and rode off. Simon turned to Michael and said, you have become more skilled than I at the, at the cutting and handling and the precision of things. Will you please begin to cut the leather for his boots? And Michael began to work. And as he did so, he smiled. Only he didn't cut for the boots that the man had asked for. He cut a circle of leather that was for making soft slippers. And Simon looked at what he was doing. He said, what have you done? You've ruined the leather. He will kill us. But Michael just kept working. Simon said, well, you may as well finish the slippers now. I don't know what's going to happen here, though. And that same day, Michael worked diligently, and he finished the pair of slippers. They weren't as complex as the boots that they had been asked, so he was able to get it all done in a single day of hard work. And later on that same evening, a messenger came riding back. And Simon said, oh, no. They've come to ask for the leather back. We've already cut it up. Or they, they want to see the progress on the boots, and all I'm going to have to show them are these slippers. And the messenger came up and said, I am here from, from the merchant. And Simon was, was terrified. 
But he said, I'm here to tell you that we don't need the boots any longer. And he said, but we've already started cutting. I can't give you back the leather. He says, that's okay. I need you to make slippers instead. My master has died on the way home. And he no longer needs high-topped boots. He needs soft slippers that he can have in his casket that he can wear. And Michael came and gave him the slippers that, that he'd already made. And he rode off content, happy with what had been given to him. Michael continued to work with them until a woman came one day with two girls, about six years old. And they were both looked almost exactly the same to one another, except one of them walked with a little bit of a limp. And she came and asked, can you make shoes for my daughters? And Simon said, yes, we can make shoes for your daughters. She said, they're twins, so you can measure. She, she gave the girl who had a limp and brought her up to her. She said, you can measure both of her feet, but her good foot is, is the same size as her sister's, so you don't need to measure her sister's as well. And Michael looked at the girls, and he smiled again. Only the third time that he'd smiled in the years that he had been working with Simon. And they made the shoes, delivered them to the woman, and she went off. And as she left, Simon looked at Michael, and suddenly began to shine with a bright light. And he revealed himself to be full of glory. He was an angel from God. This was the angel Michael who had been with them. And Simon was tempted to fall down and worship because of the glory and the brightness as it became clear to him. And he said, what, what has happened? Why have you come? And Why are you revealing yourself now after all these years? Michael said, six years ago, I was sent by God to bring back a, a soul to heaven. It was a mother who had just given birth to two twins, but she was sick, and God said that it was her time. But she begged me. She said, children need their mother. Please, can you leave me for my children? And I couldn't do it. And so I went back to heaven, and I had not obeyed God. God said, no, you will go down, bring her to me, and then you will be punished. You will be cast out of heaven until you learn the lessons that you need to learn. You'll learn what a man has, what a man doesn't have, and what a man lives by. And so, when I was with you, when your wife decided to change her heart, she had death around her. She was certainly going to die. But when she changed her heart to love and gave us the bread, I smiled because I saw the love in her. And I knew that what God has given to a man is love. And when that wealthy merchant came by, I smiled again because I knew that what God, I saw the angel of death, someone who had been a companion to me for many years, by his side, and I knew that what God has not given to a man is to know his own needs. And when I saw the woman come in, the two girls were the same girls that had been born. 
and she had taken them from their mother. She lost her own child, but she nursed and raised these as her own daughters. And I understood that a man lives by God alone. And Michael left and went back to heaven. Who in that story embodies the Proverbs that James has taught us? The merchant, certainly, right? He's, he's the one that's like the merchants exactly that James was talking about, where he's made plans but doesn't actually know his own life. In his arrogance, he thinks that he's going to be able to use this money for his own wealth and glory. This, this leather that he's gathered, he thinks he can lord it over people and dominate them. But he doesn't know that his life is but a mist, passing away before he even knows it. But Michael, too. Michael thought that he could see better than God what needed to happen. He thought that in his own arrogance, not an arrogance born of wealth, but his own arrogance, he thought that he could see what people needed better than God could. And that he could meet that need by choosing mercy in a way that was not what God had called him to. And in that, in his own arrogance, in his own foolishness of, of thinking of his life as the one upon which depended, he chose not to do that which God had called him to do. Because this is the reality that our arrogance, our boasting, where we think that we know what the future holds, so often we hold back from doing the good that God has given us to do. We stick money into our 401ks and our savings because we think we have to be prudent and save for the future. And I don't think that saving for the future is wrong, but how often do we do that at the expense of caring for others in the way that God has called us to? Because we are so sure we need to take care of our own security rather than obey God. But if you know the good that you ought to do and you don't do it, it's sin. And when it's born of the arrogance of thinking that you know the future, it is the sin upon, that God has condemned humanity for, of thinking that you know better than him what man needs. The only ones in this story who lived according to the wisdom that James thought that they should live by were the peasants who had nothing. They knew that their future was uncertain. They knew that they didn't even know if they'd have enough bread for the next day. And so they knew that they lived in utter dependence upon God. Give us this day our daily bread, was their prayer. And in that, they were virtuous. They lived out doing the good that they ought to do, showing even mercy to those whom they thought that they would die together because they didn't have enough food for the next day. This is the call that James has for us in wisdom. To live in humility to understand our utter dependence upon God, to not get caught up in our own plans, our own vision of the future, thinking that we know what is right and therefore we can do things better than God. We live each and every day with an awareness that we need Him and nothing else, that He will provide what we need, and that even where it leads to death, we obey Him. We live in obedience because we don't know better than him. This is a life of faith. This is the life that we are called to. Remember 
that you are but a mist. You don't know what the future holds, not even today. So all you can do is trust God. Walk in faith and obey Him. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.